Hello and welcome to Don't Talk About It. I'm your host, Dean D, and today I have my own version of my childhood book. It's called Facing the Monster, and it starts off as a kid and is still going on at 36 years old. So my story takes place back in high school when I was a freshman and I was pretty liked by most students. Um, I did not belong to, I would say, like a clique. I would float from one group to the next. Certain mornings I would show up and start my day with the skaters, having my own skateboard, trying some ollies, doing some rail slides. Other days I would show up and talk about last night's game with the basketball players, the football players, and the wrestlers. Other times, I would stay after school and play volleyball with the ladies, or simply join the art class. Also, I even ventured off to the band every once in a while. They were great people, too. And, last but not least, I would spend my lunches from time to time with the thespians. That's right, the theater folks. So I definitely just kind of floated around in high school and didn't really feel like I clicked or was identified as one group or one type of individual. And that being said, it was liked by most people. Didn't really get into much trouble. Didn't really get bullied. I was very fortunate. I also think it had something to do with my mother working in the school district for 30 years. And um, all through my school career as well, up until last week. Actually, she retired 30 years last week. So I felt like I always got maybe a little special privilege from the teachers as well. But there was this one kid who um, showed up senior year and didn't really care for me too much. And I think it was... The fact that um, I said hi to him every time I saw him. Whether he responded or not, I thought I was being friendly. He only saw me as annoying. And uh, one day he came up to me, grabbed me by the shirt, and said, You just wait. You just wait till school gets out. This was early in the morning. I'm going to kick your ass. And kind of threw me back into the locker. And took off. And I remember the first class I went to was my science class. Taking chemistry. And I just sat there. Shaking. My teacher thought I was having almost like an anxiety attack. And and I was. I was so nervous. Looking at the clock it was only 8.30 School didn't get out till 3, 3.30. And I thought, oh my god, I gotta make it through this whole day. Feeling this way, so scared. I'd never been in a fight before. I didn't know what it was going to be like. I didn't know if I could defend myself. I always... Did a little bit of martial arts with my cousin, older cousin, who 
had studied his whole life and had multiple black belts. And we would play around on his trampoline from time to time, but that was definitely not the assurance that I felt like I had to go up against a senior who was drastically bigger than me. I think freshman year I was still weighing 95 pounds and was five foot five. Just a little squirt. And as every time the bell rang that first chemistry class, I remember almost jumping out of my seat. I was so nervous. Lunch came around, and I thought maybe, maybe, maybe he'd do it early. Maybe, hoping, so it would just be over. But it wasn't. Lunch had finished. I went to my next class, and I sat staring at the clock again, just waiting, agonizing. Not being able to learn anything, not even being able to be outside of my head for a second. I was so trapped by my fear. And the last bell rang at 3.30. And I sat in my seat for an extra minute or two, knowing what was ahead. The unknown. This fight. As a freshman, and as a young adult who had never even gotten into anything more than a yelling match with my twin brother. Maybe a push here, but never anything physical with fist and swinging and punching. And I remember walking out towards the parking lot just gazing, looking anxiously. Is he there? Should I run? If I run, it's just going to be again tomorrow. And there he was, standing next to his car. There was a few people around as well. By the time I had moved closer, the crowd had started to grow a little bit more. And I just remember being so scared, clenching my backpack so tight. It was cutting off circulation to my fingers, white knuckle, so to say. And like I said, I was friends with a lot of people, and that meant in every grade. I had a lot of seniors who also would take me to lunch, even though my mom told me not to ride with anybody. I managed to do it for a few years before I got finally caught. <laughs> and uh, so most of the people there I knew. And I walked up to this guy and I took off my backpack. And I stood there, stiff still, not sure what to do. If I put my fist up, should I try to duck? And before I knew anything, his right hand caught my face. And I stood there after that punch. 
I didn't move, I didn't go to the ground. I just kind of shook my head, startled in shock. And the group that had started to form started to laugh, started to chuckle. Here was this five foot nine, five foot ten, 185 pound senior who just had cold cocked a freshman at 95 pounds here, five foot six. And all I could do was stand there stunned. Before another swing could occur, the laughter had overwhelmed him. And he said, you're not worth my time. And got in his car and teared ass out of the driveway, out of the parking lot as fast as he could. Embarrassed, I'm assuming. I know this kid, after I had learned a little bit more about him as the school year went on, that he was hit by his dad often. And he was looking for an easy target to take it out on. And after he tore away, a friend came up to me and put his hand on me and said, Are you okay? And I remember saying, That was it? And then the, everybody started laughing again. I don't know if he swung not trying to hurt me intentionally, swinging, swinging with all his might, or it was just a lucky break. But this fight that I had been so terrified to face was way worse in my head than what had transpired in reality. And the rest of the school year, he left me alone. One day, I saw some kids trying to tag his car a couple months later with spray paint, and I yelled and caught their attention, and they ran off. And he had, was off in the distance as he was walking towards his car and saw what I had done. He didn't open his mouth, but he looked at me and winked. We never had a problem again. He left me alone, and I found out he also stood up for me at times. This facing the monster was not as scary as pretending and thinking about what this monster would be like, what this situation would transpire. What was so scary was what I made out in my head, not the actual situation. And I thought about this as I drove home on Sunday. Last Sunday was Father's Day. And I didn't talk to my, I haven't seen my dad in close to two years. And he was the monster that I faced on Sunday. 
And I think a large part of it was being a kid, young kid. I didn't know my dad. He was a long-haul truck driver. He was brought up in a very abusive household. His brother picked on him all the time and would choke him and do other things. His dad, when he didn't know how to handle my father, would chain him to a chair. My dad ran home from school one day because he knew he was going to be late and there was going to be a beating waiting at home for him. And he fell right in front of his house and scraped his knee. And that only led to an additional beating. My dad had so much anger. That's all I remember as a kid. Which I think is why he spent a lot of time away from us. He used to run a a Kenworth, 78 Kenworth semi-truck from Spokane, Washington, all the way down to Bakersfield, California. And I never saw him. Maybe once or twice every couple months, I would hear the turbo of that diesel engine spool up and the exhaust as he parked outside the fence to open it. I'd see him drive by as he would pass to this long, long driveway that would go by our house and up to the shop where he would park his semi-truck. I didn't know when my dad would be coming down or if I would even see him before he took off again. He was just a stranger. I don't have many memories of my dad prior to my parents' divorce at 12. Step one. When I was eight years old, my father wanted to take my brother and I down to San Francisco and take us to the zoo and the boardwalk and spend some time with his kids. And I remember riding in the back of my dad's semi-truck, which had this little sleeper in the back, curled up in a ball, feeling like I did in high school when that kid was going to hit me, and I spent the whole day anxious, scared, crying. I was tucked in a ball almost the entire way to San Francisco. The only thing that had broke my position was falling asleep. I didn't know if I would ever return home to my mom. I didn't know the stranger I was with. And the road was constantly filled with profanities as people would cut my dad off from time to time in a semi-truck, driving a little slower. Trucks go 55 in California. 
and everybody else does 100. So <laughs> my dad was always angered personally. Everybody would personally attack him, or so he would say. I don't remember the zoo or anything else, but I do remember sitting in the back of that truck for so long, scared. When I was 12, my dad put in more of an effort to try to spend time with us. I remember him telling me that he lost my mother and he didn't want to lose us too. But I knew my dad had like no idea what to do with my brother and I. And so he would buy us things and try to take us to the lake and go to the car show. He would include us in things that he liked to do. But I rarely felt included. I always just felt like a tag-along. My dad would spend most of the time wherever we went in conversation with somebody else and usually a beer or two or three. Leaving my brother and I to entertain ourselves. I remember going shopping and being so excited and everything I picked out was riddled with criticism from him. My pants were too baggy, even though at the time I was very embarrassed to be with my dad in town because he was wearing a short pair of short, short shorts that I think were way too short for a man his age. But we weren't allowed to say anything back. Why do you want to dress like that, son? You look like a gangster. You look like a low life. Are you trying to look like a prisoner? And everything was just full of criticism. Remember one shopping trip, my dad actually said he's over this fucking bullshit and went and picked out our clothes for us, threw them in a bag, and I didn't even know if they would fit. But it was what we got. And for the last 22, 24, almost 25 years now, I've been sitting in the classroom in my head with the school of my dad, anxious, nervous, scared of the criticism, the personal judgment, never being good enough. I carry this with me everywhere I go, and I still fight it to this day, and it's getting a lot better. And Sunday was a very big breakthrough, but it is still very hard. I put on my wife's uh, screen protector last night on her iPhone, and I got a bubble down the middle, and I instantly said to myself, where'd it go, Dean? You fucked it up. I struck that thought from my head very quickly because my wife came around the corner and said, oh my God, thank you. And I said, it has a bubble. She goes, I don't care. I'll break it in a day or two. You can put another one on. 
And, but it's there and still pops up. So for the last two years, I have not seen my dad and every day has been anxious. Every day I've been thinking about this man in the in the store buying me clothes asking me why I got second place instead of first. It's okay, son, you'll do better next time. Never really being able to appreciate any accomplishment. And so on Sunday I decided to face my monster. I felt like a year and a half of pondering and silence without talking to him and growing through therapy and facing my own monster. My dad in my head. These traits that I have picked up from him because he projected him into me so sternly as a kid and a young adult. My dad, in 36 years, I think has called me twice. I have to call him every time. I have to go see him every time. There's nothing that comes towards me without an expectation. I think the two times my dad called me was once he wanted me to come help him paint his entire shop and the other time was he needed help moving some heavy equipment. So Sunday I went over there and I got out of my truck and I walked up to my dad and I gave him the biggest hug. And he said, it's good to see you, son. And I said, you are right about being son. I am your son, and I am obligated to be your son through family. But there's some serious shit that we need to talk about if you want to have a relationship. I don't need you to respond. I don't need you to correct me. I don't even want your opinion. What I need you to do is sit there. And listen attentively to what I have to say. A relationship requires work. And if you want one, then this is the first step. My dad said, okay. And we walked up to his patio outside. Because my dad's not vaccinated yet and he's was willing to stay outside for my comfort zone, which is, I think, the first time I ever felt like my dad made an allowance for me. He didn't even ask me why or made fun of me. He even asked if he should go get his mask. I realized how bad my dad wanted to see me. And I sat and I told him exactly how I felt. I told him that some things have changed. And it wasn't anger anymore when I looked at him. 
it was pity. The 43-year-old image of my dad so full of rage in my head for so long was not what was sitting in front of me. It was a 75-year-old man with wrinkled skin and crooked fingers sitting in a pool of loneliness and his own self-criticism. Before we got to the table to sit down, my dad said, please excuse the leaves that are on the table. I haven't had time to clean that up yet. I instantly knew that I have faced more at 36 with myself and my own monster than my dad had at 75. He was still controlled by judgment and what other people thought of him. The anger ball that I had built up and on the drive over was quickly deflated. And I was reminded by the fact that getting punched in the face was not as bad as what I thought it would be. I told my dad that I was angry at him for not dealing with his own issues, fighting his own fears, and modeling something better for me. I told him, as much as you are concerned about the leaves, I am concerned about my truck getting dirty, the hedges not being pruned, the grass being a little too tall. COVID has been a blessing over the last two years. I look in my envelope and I am out of fucks to give. There is so much more important in life than that. And frankly, if if you didn't come over to see me but came over to judge my, the height of my grass, then I do not think you are truly my friend. I told my dad that his criticism was still in my head every day. I told him that I hate the fact that I never feel like he thinks about me because he never calls, he never sends a text, he never reaches out. My dad responded that he does not do that because I'm busy. I quickly said bullshit. You do that because you're scared. You're scared that if you reach out and I don't answer, it's because I'm mad at you or because I don't want to talk to you. The reality is I spend most of my time in my backyard at home in a beautiful garden that my wife spends every waking second to make gorgeous with flowers and dahlias and zinnias and tomato plants and kiwis and Lots of fruit trees. It is my peace. People go somewhere to relax. All I have to do is open my door. I feel like I'm very blessed. It's been a 12-year development. But it's my space. My safe space. I told my dad that he does not need to be worried about being judged by me. I have already judged him plenty by this point in my life. And if he wants to have a relationship with me, I want him to be open and transparent and no more lies. 
I told him I did not come over to see how many leaves have collected on your table, but to speak to you. I don't even care what you are wearing. I'm glad that you're clothed, but I am here for one thing, and that is to try and move forward with a little more effort in our relationship that right now currently doesn't exist. My dad's eyes swelled up with tears as he constantly fought to let them go. I grabbed his hand and told him that if he would show me as a kid that crying is actually strength because it's accepting your emotions instead of bearing them. I might not be in the mess I'm in today. I grabbed my dad's hand when we were finished with the conversation. I made him look at me. And I told him thank you. Thank you, Rick. Thank you, Dad. I know your father never gave you the opportunity to be heard. The last conversation my dad had with his father was when he showed up late to help him cut down a tree and his dad cussed him out. My dad said, fuck you, you son of a bitch, and left, and they never spoke again. My dad didn't even go to his funeral. So I told him thank you for listening. As he opened his mouth, I said... The only thing I want to hear is about how this makes you feel, not anything about me. And all he could say was, I'm sorry, son. I still fight that every day. My dad, in my head, as much as I try to let it go. And I see how much further I have progressed in my level of contentment for myself and acceptance for who I am as a person. And we finished with another hug and a glass of scotch. I told him this is far from fixed. I said, if you want to lose 50 pounds, you don't go to the gym one time. You don't eat one salad. And I said, and then you need to strike the word fixed from your vocabulary. We will never be fixed. But we can try to create something new going forward. Because I don't want to even try to mend what was there before. I expect you to be open. Not only with me, but with yourself. And if you can't do that, I understand. But this is what... This is what I need. I'm working on so much, and I don't want to be reminded every day, or every time I talk to you. I don't want to see you modeling constantly your own fears. I don't want to be the one to support you. 
They need you to support yourself. My dad's eyes swelled up again. At this point, I still had his hand. And I told him it's okay to cry. And he did. I drove home after about two hours. By then, I was emotionally exhausted, and that was enough. I haven't spoke to my father since. But I feel more open to reach out and actually have received a text message from him yesterday morning. And I responded back with, thank you. I appreciate that. And as I approached work on Monday, the world seemed a little different. The monster that I had in my head for so long, I had finally faced. Everything else seemed so minuscule by comparison. The CEO of my company did not seem as threatening. The hectic phone calls that come from the discharge planners did not seem as expected. I didn't have to jump as soon as the phone rang. I felt more accomplished when I got home and less disappointed. As I told my dad, I'm telling myself as well, this is far from fixed. But I'm also reminding myself that I am not broken. I am simply moving in a direction that makes me feel more like the person that I am instead of the person that he wants me to be and the rest of the world wants me to be. It makes me think a little bit of the sun in our solar system. The sun can exist without the planets, but the planets cannot exist without the sun. And as bright as I burn, I constantly try to hold on to every single orbiting globe that surrounds me. Not realizing that sometimes things will lose their gravitational pull and move further away. And sometimes get hit by an asteroid and move off and be gone forever. For so long, I thought that I was dependent on the sun's orbit and that I was Earth. My mom always said the world doesn't revolve around you. (laughs) But I realize I do have my own solar system, and I am the sun. And I burn brightly. The family that I had tried to hold on to for so long has been replaced with people who actually feel my gravitational pull Father Joel is my other brother from another mother and the closest man in my life. He would drop anything to come help me. I have a brother. 
fortunate I have somebody there that I can call family. I've been adopted by two amazing people named Steve and Jane, who when I call them, they call me son. They listen, they accept me, they praise me. They challenge me too from time to time, but in a very healthy, natural way that clicks with me and aligns with who I am. For so long, I try to hold on to what I think needs to surround me instead of letting my own gravitational pull attract what sees my light. So it's a new approach. I know I'm the sun, and I know I can burn brightly, and I'll attract certain things along the way. Other people will move further out, like Pluto, and over time be debated if it's even a planet. And I'm learning that by letting go of this monster, I'm able to see a different perspective. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your ears. Have a wonderful day.